Wherever you are in your career, whatever you've achieved, the help and guidance of other people probably contributed to your success. If you've been lucky enough to have a mentor at some point in your career, you're especially aware of this fact. In fact, a remarkable 75% of executives say mentoring has been critical in their career development and success. Thanks for joining us for episode two of This Life's Work with Charles Ratliff and friends. And thank you for everyone that listened to episode one on Spotify, Apple Music, or directly from theratliffgroup.com. I'm Dana Schlegenhaft. Throughout each episode of our podcast, we talk to business and community members to gain a real look at their entire life's work. That's a combination of career, faith, family, community, and business. We're talking about failures, celebrations, struggles, successes, all of it, plus the relationships forged that guided us along the way. Joining me now is our podcast co-host, Charles Ratliff. Hello, Charles. Well, hey, Dana. Thank you. I appreciate it again. I see our episode guests today are Don Walker and, and Brad Crane. Say, Don had a remarkable 42-year career at Arvest. And uh, Don, as we were talking earlier, during that time, the bank grew from, uh, what did you say, about hundred million in assets when you started with yes, the sir. bank? Yes, sir. We had three local banks, uh, First National Rogers and the Bank of Bentonville, where I started, and our, our bank at Pea Ridge, and those totaled about $100 million in assets. And now, and now there's 280 offices? 280 is that locations. And the asset size is? We're uh, $19.5 billion, probably $19.6 billion today. Billion. That's just unbelievable growth. And uh, you know, Don served as a mentor to our other gra- uh, guest here, Brad. Brad Crane's been with RVS 14 years, recently moved back to Northwest Arkansas when he was named president and CEO of RVS Benton County. Congratulations, Brad. Congratulations, congratulations to both of you, by the way, Don retiring and, and Brad. I think uh, until recently I haven't seen either one of you in years, but Don and I had a chance to have lunch two or three weeks ago, and I said, wait a minute, Brad's too young for this. <laughs> You're a young guy. That's a, I that's think of myself that way. I'm not certain that's the case anymore. <laughs> well, you haven't been on job that long. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Not that bad. Well, let's see, Brad. So I wanted to briefly kind of recount how I know you guys and, and where we met. So my earliest recollection of knowing you was on a school trip to Europe. You remember that? I do remember that. It's almost like you were paying vacation because it's a pretty low budget deal. <laughs> it was a low budget deal and I was I was actually helping chaperone that, uh, which was kind of funny. Uh, the, the, there were high school students there. I was in college at that time uh, and my what would ultimately be my wife was on that trip as well. Uh, Jeanette. Uh, coincidentally. Yeah, coincidentally, <laughs> Jeanette Heisel was on that trip and uh, yeah, we toured we toured Europe together. That sounds a lot more glamorous than it was. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it, you know, I've known the hostels for a long time, and Frank and Elise and the boys. And, uh, you know, as a result, I feel like I've known you for, for a long time. So, uh, Don, I'll say, uh, Don, I started with Walmart in 79, and you started with our, uh, actually, Bank of Bentonville in 78. I think 78. 78. Uh, that was. Uh, David Short, Bert Stacy, Tim Summers. Hey, by the way, thanks for telling Tim I'm a business broker now. Yeah. So he called me the other day. We're, we're going to work with a local business and trying to help them sell that. You're that, welcome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. And then we went to uh, 
one of my fondest memories, you and I went out to Colorado for a hunt. Oh, that was A deer fun. hunt. That, that was, was probably fun. the late 80s, maybe. I would guess. I would guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're starting to sound like our granddads now. <laughs> I can't remember. And at the time, you were president of the Siloam Bank. I was. I think. So where'd you go from there? Well, I went to Siloam as president in... Uh, 1984, came back to Bentonville as president in uh, 91, stayed here until 98, and then moved to Tulsa and uh, stayed in that market for 18 years. And then recently, five years ago, that sounds recent to me, uh, moved back to Northwest Arkansas to oversee the Arkansas division. And then Brad was, uh, Brad, did you start here in this in this bank with the Arbus Group? I did. I uh, started here in uh, 2006 with, uh, it was actually at the at the time we still called it uh, Bank of Bentonville. It was of Arbest. It was Arbest Bank, but we considered it Bank of Bentonville. And I started on the trust side, trust investments, and uh, spent a couple of years here. And then uh, my family and I moved up to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And uh, I was the regional trust manager there. Spent a little bit of time working with with Don. Uh, a couple of years after that, I was I oversaw the Oklahoma banks, the, all their trust investments for all of the Oklahoma banks plus Kansas City, and then um, and then moved. I guess six years ago, moved to Springfield to be regional president for the for the uh, Springfield Bank. Well, so uh, so here's my question. There's there's an old saying that there's no level of success at work that offsets failure at home. You guys have been on the road. Brad, even your relatively short career compared to Don, you've been on the road. So that's the first question is how did how have you maintained that uh, work-life uh, family balance? Well, I think, you know, a, a banker, maybe not all that different, but I, I guess I've always perceived that our job didn't end at 5 o'clock. As a banker, you have a responsibility to help. And this was a Mr. Walton encouragement when I started that part of our job as a banker was to help grow the local economy. And that meant being involved in the chamber, being involved in all of the nonprofits. And uh, so your day sometimes began when you closed the bank. So, yes, we are away from our families a lot, but in most cases, I think we try to include our families. I remember in uh, Siloam Springs, whether I was at my daughter's basketball games or whether we were jogging and her, I was jogging, she was riding her bicycle with me. We made sure that family was, uh, was a part of our life. And like I said, sometimes it was uh, away from home but I've always considered, you know, when I knew when my career ended that I'd still have a daughter. I wouldn't have a job, but I'd still have a daughter. Now, a nine-year-old grandson. And it's so I, I think I balance that okay, but it's critical, I think, that you do include, you know, your spouse and your children as much as you can in activities, whether it's take your daughter to work or whether it's uh, to take her to, you know, uh, be at her ball games, take her to events uh, with you. You Brad. make it. You made it sound easy, but <laughs> I know it's a little more challenging than than you made it sound. Brad, how about you? Yeah, it's it's definitely not easy, but I think Don's exactly right. I I had an opportunity to watch uh, a lot of successful bankers do exactly what Don just said, and that was being inclusive of of family through events, whether uh, that was in the evening or weekends, uh, and also just letting them be a part of of your job and. 
um, I think from watching that and witnessing that through the years um, and really watching it in, in through my in-laws and my own family with my father-in-law and, and my father seeing that up close and personal, I knew that was important to me. And so as we've had new opportunities that have come along, I, I've actually involved my kids in those conversations, even when they were little. Uh, and I can remember having some conversations with, uh, you know, a six-year-old son and, and and describing to him what this might meant for a family. Now, he's not obviously going to provide any insight, but he was engaged and felt a part. Um, I've told uh, anyone who knows my wife knows that I, I, I married up. And, uh, and Jeanette, uh, we, I consider we're a team in everything that we've done. We've really been a team uh, in the way that we plug into the community, the way we uh, bring our family along, the way that we, the, what I do with my job. She's engaged uh, day to day. And, um, and my kids have seen that as well. And so that's kind of how I've tried to do it. Uh, obviously, I know I don't do it perfectly, um, but um, that's how I've done it through my career thus far. Brad, I wanted to talk a little bit about the relationship that you and Don have as well, because that's also been an important relationship in your career. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that's been like through the years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, Don, and I and I told him this recently in an email, I don't know that he knew up until that point uh, exactly how impactful he had been, but one of the things uh, that Don doesn't, he was my fam, my in-laws bank, and so uh, Jeanette grew up knowing Don. My in-laws uh, knew up growing Don, and they're uh, because of that. I grew up uh, somewhat knowing Don. Sorry, I don't mean to say like growing up like, but uh, <laughs> you are just a touch older. Sorry, Don. But uh, um, but what I did learn and watch was how he interacted uh, with associates, how he cared for customers, the priorities that he put first, and and that, and a piece of that was family and balance. Um, and putting, you know, culture uh, as a priority. And so as I watched these things and then would have conversations with Don, uh, we we got to work alongside when he was president in Tulsa and I was a regional manager. We got to work alongside on projects and initiatives. And our bank is very good about making sure that, that we are um, – making sure that we have open communication and we're bringing people to the table to have conversations. And I had that with Don. And so he really helped mold me uh, as a leader in the company. A lot of the things that I valued aligned with things that Don valued. And so that was an easy partnership for, for us to do. But really, he helped me become the banker that I am today. I can say that for sure. And a different kind of relationship for you, Don. How, how was that working with Brad through the years as well? Well, it's, you know, it, it's always one of your greatest rewards to see people that you work with develop and be successful. And I, th- I think those of us that have managed people for a long time find that that is our greatest reward. I would say, though, when we talk about mentoring people, you have to realize that sometimes you're doing it whether you're talking to them face-to-face, as Brad just mentioned, or whether you're just an example. And and as I think about that, I was trying to think, okay, who was my mentor? Well, I didn't have one. I, you know, many of you do know Bert Stacy, and Bert was, uh, he was a leader uh, when I first got into banking. So he really was a, 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 a critical mentor because he helped me understand banking. But, you know, just as much as Bert, you know, Mr. Sam, you know, he and I just, we actually bird hunted together, just the two of us, and I would ask him questions. Uh, but then I would watch him from, you know, okay, does he do what he says? Does he walk the walk? And those kind of mentors, you know, are critical in your life. I just, Don Sodequist, David Glass, you know, just 
men who did what they said and lived by their own credo, uh, they become our mentors. And when someone breaks the rules, you know, that changes everything. I've got uh, sort of an add-on to the mentor question, Don, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about changing uh, locations and family and and work and all that goes on. Uh, You've also – you've seen folks that didn't probably handle the success as well as you think they should or maybe uh, they – made a little more money faster than they thought they would? And how do you help mentor folks to manage those life challenges? It's a little tougher part of that mentoring question because that's I think your relationship's not the classical mentoring that you guys have. You've, you've had, you expressed an interest in Brad the first, you and I, you and I had lunch two or four weeks ago that you, you've been very involved in, in, his, uh, in his career so far. So... You know, how do you advise relative to cautions that you've seen others uh, not avoid? You know, we <laughs> we always say that our hindsight's twenty twenty. So when something happens, you always think back and say, "Wow, how how did we let that happen?" And and for those of you who are listening to this, you may not know all the details, but as a banker. I can remember multiple instances where we have had people who broke the rules, who uh, did uh, bad things to the bank or, you know, to uh, individuals. And and let me me interrupt you just a little bit to say we were – the three of us were fortunate to work for two companies that had very, very strong integrity culture. True. So I think some of the things that – and I don't want to lose your train of thought no. there, but some of the things I didn't learn uh, until after I left Walmart, for example, we considered breaches were not considered that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. So, well, that's yeah. uh, that's a great point, and and again, I think we have to fill the space so our right. listeners know what we're uh, trying to uh, encapsulate here in these thoughts. But to me. You know, greed gets to a lot of people. So uh, what I was trying to say earlier is as we look back, we say, well, how did we miss that? And I can tell you, Charles, from intimately knowing these situations, I would say the problem is we didn't mentor those people closely enough. They didn't have close alignment in the organization uh, maybe had inadequate oversight. So, you know, mentoring is critical, but you can't mentor for one day or one week or even one year. I think what we have to be more deliberate about is uh, being close to uh, leaders, uh, really understanding them. We've changed our business model at the bank since some of these breaches. How how uh, so? We have uh, become more, uh, particularly at the executive level, uh, more deliberate about uh, you reporting your own financial information. Uh, We used to, we were very laissez-faire to 
get that information. We took your word for it. Uh, now, uh, as a as a bank, as a fairly large bank, and the vast number of 6,600 6, people, uh, we've uh, we've become more responsible for uh, talking to and and laying out our expectations of our senior leaders, so that you know if if one is uh, getting outside the boundaries, uh, we may decide we want to look at his credit report. It, we could do that. You know, we we didn't do it before because we trusted everyone. That was the, you know, that was the uh, business model of the day. We trusted people, yeah. and and obviously this is not just banking. I, I can tell you, every industry. Uh, has the same situation of yeah. ethical well, go, go, well, look at behavior. Enron and you know absolutely back at all the changes. Yeah, Brad, did you have a t- comment? Well, I on think that? I think to Don's point and what I wanted to re- to reiterate, uh, particularly with this particular podcast, is that leaning in that we can do uh, of our individual leaders within our company to to riot to other rising leaders, and um, if we are doing that from a mentor perspective. We obviously have all these checks and balances in place now, which uh, w- which you would expect. But but we have a higher integrity company, very high integrity company. And instilling that culture and leaning into leadership, mentoring, whether that's formal or informal, I think is the key that Don that Don mentioned. I can I can remember when um, when I became uh, president up in Springfield, I had a conversation with Don and I had a couple other what are now peers call me. And uh, and they said simple things like, just because you can, don't extend your lifestyle now. Mm, good, awesome. Just right. simple things like that, yeah. and that's on a you know that's talking about somebody's finances. That's mm-hmm. very personal. Mm-hmm. But if you lean in and you care enough to 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 have that conversation with somebody, that's going to have an impact. It had an impact impact on me. It you know and. Uh, uh, those are the things that can really also make a difference as well. I appreciate that. So let's take this a little bit further, though. That So we've taken mentoring really into several different dimensions. Mr. Sam, you reminded me of a Mr. Sam story. He used to call it check the checker. I don't know if you've heard that one. As a store manager, he said, My, your responsibility is to go check the checker. In other words, go to the cash register, you check, see how things are going. And that, and the implication there is it's management's responsibility to not only hire the right people and train the right folks, but to go help them stay honest. Now, I remember uh, years ago at a Christmas function, I gave a story about uh, – I recounted what had just happened in one of our departments. I won't tell you who it is exactly right now, but we had two people handcuffed the week before the Christmas party. And I really admonished our management group a little bit in front of everybody saying, I failed and we as management failed because somebody knew something wasn't right and we didn't step up. We didn't stop. So I think maybe mentoring has a lot of different terms. Yeah, because some of your team members learned something from that. When you said it out loud, you know, a lot of our people – you know, they, they learn from that. We do have to, I think, talk about those issues. Uh, you know, as, as I'm thinking back <laughs> through instances, I mentioned several, mm-hmm. and, and we're talking about mentoring. Only one of those was an individual who had come up in our company. The others were 
outside the company, new hires in the company for Good. a short period of time. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a chance to mentor. Good point. Like Brad said, we weren't close to, to those people on a regular basis. Uh, but but one of our breaches was, you know, someone who knew better and mm-hmm. just chose a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sad part about that, we all know, is, is that it doesn't just impact that person. It impacts the company internally. Uh, you causes questions of, you know, our own policies and procedures. It makes some people uncomfortable. That's not all bad, but that's business. Uh, But what it also hurts are families. You know, that's the thing that makes me sick. And anyone that (laughs) ever starts getting outside those boundaries, you know, I wish they would just think about, you know, what's the end results. And the end result is going to not be good. I want to pivot a little bit to um, a little bit of a different question because you guys have had have and have had very successful careers, but you know careers aren't just a trajectory up. And so a lot of people do deal with wherever they are in their career, the feelings of failure or the feelings of not succeeding at the rate that they want to. Have there been points in your career where you've failed? And what would you tell yourself now? If you could go back and give yourself some advice, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I, I, while I think about a, a, a failure for myself, I will say this uh, in terms of trajectory and pace of a career. Um, that's something inside of companies today that I think we struggle with mightily because uh, I don't know if it's a generational change or if it's just expectation now, but people's expectations are that they're going to move quickly. Uh, and that wasn't necessarily anything that I had an expectation for. I, I believe that if I worked hard and I did the right thing, I went above and beyond, I, I lived the culture and I took care of our customers that something good would happen in my career. Um, I would say that uh, before I came to Arvest, you know, as, as I sit and think about maybe a failure was I wasn't as patient. I didn't necessarily wait on God either. Uh, and I tried to force things from a career perspective and actually um, moved into a different division away from what I knew well and got myself out of the path because I felt like it was my time and it wasn't my time. And, uh, it was, it was absolutely miserable. I went from a manager who was a good leader and who was a good mentor. I got ahead of myself and jumped into, uh, into another role. And that particular person didn't really, uh, didn't really, uh, have the interest, same interest in me that I would say. And so, from a faith perspective, I would say I got ahead of God, uh, and and I probably should have been praying about that a lot more. Uh, and I and I ultimately moved back, uh, took and then had to take a step down from a from a from a career perspective. And so that was a little bit of a harder lesson, but ultimately it was the right thing to Great do. Great observation. I mean, you know, it was the right thing to do. So that would be a fail on my part, I guess. As I think about. Uh, a, a lifetime in the bank, the biggest part of my life, the biggest part of my life. Uh, I do think of the individuals who I either started mentoring or I don't know if I didn't give them clear instructions and maybe they uh, they plateaued really early. Uh, as I think about this discussion, as, as we're sitting here, this is a little introspective, but introspective. But I, I thought, what did I miss? 
did I did did I think that every person would be successful? And I can think of several now who really didn't get enough uh, clear direction from me uh, because they either plateaued, they got disappointed in their career, and then moved away, left the company. Uh, that probably needs to be in podcast two because I don't know if I have the answer at this point. Uh, but I can think of a lot of good people. And I didn't help them attain the skill set they needed to become executives or senior leaders. And that's – they all come to us. That's what they think mm-hmm. we can help them do. Mm-hmm. You know, they, right. they think, well, if I can talk to the president, he will tell me what I need to do to get to, you know, to the executive wing or the executive level. Um, I think as leaders, uh, I probably could have been a lot better at that. Uh, I don't know what those uh, solutions would – uh, would have been. Uh, but if I could uh, hit replay, I'd probably work a little harder at that, Dana. <laughs> I, I, yeah, a couple add on quick co- Sam stories real quick because I remember Jim Walton talking about uh, Sam on one occasion and they were out camping. And, you know, Jim's little and he's out running around. And he comes up and says, hey, Dad, what can I go do? And he said, whatever you're big enough to do. <laughs> and you have to think through it. You have to think about that. Alice said the same thing. Yeah. I remember her saying yeah. that one time. I mean, that's pretty good fatherly advice. What are you mm-hmm. big enough to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, Jack Schumacher used to call it how high is up. Yeah, you can achieve what you want to achieve. One other quick question, though, because, Brad, you may have kind of – I may have missed it in your answer earlier. As I think Don mentioned to me, you've actually been on the wealth management side and jumped over to the bank. I don't know that I've – how often does that happen? I don't know anybody. Those are unique skill sets. Well – uh, I can tell you at our best, there's been one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think only one. Uh, yeah, and uh, that, that's that's outstanding. Well, I, it's uh, yeah, I've, it's been it's been great. It was a, it was definitely a, a switch, but um, but I have enjoyed it. And it really just for me, it's relationships and leadership of people and sales leadership and and taking care of the customers. And we definitely did that on the wealth side, and so it was transferable for me. Uh, but it's not uh, something that maybe just everybody's ever thought about doing. That's no, great. It's a good move, good career move, I think. Well, they say time flies when you're recording a podcast, <laughs> and we've reached the end of our time. So uh, thank you for joining us today. And we wanted to tell you guys a little bit about our next guest as we prepare for Episode 3. Uh, our next guest is Nick Robbins, and he's a former convict. He's also the executive director of Returning Home, which is a nonprofit that helps people with criminal backgrounds, many of them straight from incarceration. And it helps them overcome the barriers to a successful reentry. That can be into the community, um, into the business world as well. And they really help with everything from job placement, life skills, clothing, substance abuse, and mental health services. And the story of Nick's life work is incredibly powerful, and you won't want to miss episode three. So you can uh, catch every episode of this podcast at theratliffgroup.com or anywhere that you can find a podcast online, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, all those places. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or want to learn more, please email us. Use the contact form at theratliffgroup.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.